Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated as almost always during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, from my 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI, my personal mobile studio. Today is Monday, July the 20th, 2009, and this is episode 240 of the Survival Podcast. Hard to believe, folks, that we will in uh, almost no time at all cross episode number 250, 250 times, I've either crawled into this car or set up in my little home office a few times, and I have delivered the Survival Podcast to you, my friends, and we've shared either my morning drive or your afternoon drive or your next day drive or your work day uh, or you're working out at the gym or you're cutting the grass or wherever the places are that that a lot of people write me and tell me that they listen to my show from. Um, We've shared that time together, and let me say, as always, thank you very much for that. Thank you for sharing my show with other people. I think that's uh, that is why the show has grown. Um, and I'll tell you what, I looked at the download statistics last week. Our feed burner stats stayed between six and seven thousand, some change. Uh, but our download, because only the people that the only people that are subscribed to the podcast that actually like tune it like a radio station comes to their feed reader, their iTunes, whatever, show up in the feed stats. Uh, the total downloads last week averaged over ten thousand a day. So ten thousand people a day. Are now downloading the Survival Podcast and making it part of their life. That is not me. That is you. So please let me let me be clear when I say thank you. It's not just something that hosts of shows do. It's heartfelt from me. Um, today we're going to do another listener uh, question day. I think we're going to start doing these on Mondays. This, this Monday's different for uh, a, kind of a sort of a long story that really is no big deal or anything. Just more detail than you want. My son is not with me today, so I am driving uh, like most days uh, while I broadcast, and uh, that means I have to glance down, uh, glance to the side, would have you get the question, and then answer it with uh, no notes, which is the way it's been 90% of the time anyway. Just wanted to note that. Uh, but we're going to take these questions because what I've learned is I'll do a week of questions, I'll do a show uh, with questions like this on a given week, and I've kind of caught up on my backlog on most of my questions now. The ones I haven't caught up on, I'm actually planning entire episodes episodes or half episodes to deal with them because they're more involved. But by the time Monday rolls back around, you guys are great and you send me more questions and I have another great show lined up for Monday. So we're going to probably keep doing question shows on Mondays. It's a good way for me to break back into the week. Before we do that, let's do some housekeeping though. And uh, Two or three different people emailed me and I used to call this house cleaning and now I call it housekeeping and all three of them were in a consensus that this was more housekeeping than cleaning. So I've changed that. I didn't really announce it, but I'll let you know that today, that it's listener feedback that changes a lot of things on this show, and uh, sometimes I don't really even answer you because I just don't have the time. I try to answer my emails, you know, even if it's just thanks or appreciated, thanks for the kind words, something like that, but i got to tell you, sometimes I get home and I'm just beat, and I, as I'm going through the email, if it doesn't look like anything that requires a response, I just delete it, and I'm sorry when I do that, but I do read them, and they all go into my mental computer, and uh, they impact the show, so keep sending it. Um, 
with the housekeeping, let's start out with our advertisers. Our advertiser of the day is Safe Castle LLC. They have a variety of stuff for preparedness needs. And while you're checking them out, check out their, their sister site for their in, uh, hardened structures for storm shelters and other things like that. They manufacture some really kick-ass buildings. Uh, you really got to kind of see to believe, so check that out. They also have a great uh, discount club as well. Next is our forum. Please consider joining our forum, get involved with the community, talk to each other. Somebody emailed me recently and said, I don't do enough to promote community. I should be promoting more community, people getting involved with each other. I, I think that person's wrong, but I'll tell you where the community starts for TSP. It's online, and we reach out to each other. And you know what happens when you start reaching out to people on the forum? You find out there's quite a few of them that live right where you do. And uh, you guys take your own local group type stuff from there. We do have regional boards and all to help facilitate that. Uh, next, Member Support Brigade. If you think this show's worth more than a quarter an episode to you, consider joining the Supporting Members Brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members for $5 a month or $50 a year. Uh, it is a recurring uh, contribution. Unless you do check or money order, you have to fill a form out to do that. Uh, you have to buy at least one year membership to do that. Um, I also want to let you know that if you join the Supporting Members Brigade right now, there's over $64 in freebies of retail value available in the MSB. And... Um just consider that. Basically pays for your membership for the first year. Actually you are profitable if you were to buy all the items that are there for free. Alright, um, next one. I want to let you guys know, I am going to be on Truth Brigade Radio. It's on American Freedom Radio. If you remember, I did a show there uh, on, on Karen Katowski's show about a month ago, and uh, Christy Sajukowski, I think that's how you pronounce her name. I grew up in the Northeast, so I'm pretty good at names like that. Uh, but Christy Sajukowski, who's just awesome, um, has a show called Truth Brigade Radio. Uh, you can go to American Freedom Radio, and you can listen to the show live. Live at 7 o'clock. I'll put a link there. 7 o'clock Central on Wednesday. You can hear the show live. Or there will be a download available that I will make available in the following day's show notes. I am also going to be on a show um, this weekend with James Talmadge Stevens, his show over at Blog Talk Radio. Um, Thursday I'll give you more information about that. Uh, just letting you know we are getting out there with, you know, working with fellow uh, you know, pirate radio types and independent radio types and other podcasters to get the word out and forming community on this level as well. So that knocks out the housekeeping. Let's move into the questions that we have. We have some really great ones today. Before I do that, I'm going to make excuses for myself in advance today if I sound distracted any time. i got a lot of back pain today. Um, I've got this old Siberian husky named Lakota, and uh, he's been my dog for, for over 12 years. And, you know, when you have a family dog, he's really everybody's dog. This dog is my dog. I mean, he's uh, he spent his whole life as close to me as he could keep himself at all times. Uh, when I used to travel, I had to start putting my suitcase the night before on a table instead of the floor because we saw my suitcase, he knew I was always leaving, and he would pee on my suitcase. Um, a lot of people would be angry at a dog for that. I understood what he was doing, because he wouldn't pee on anything else. Uh, so, believe it or not, that actually endeared me to him. Well, he's on his last legs, and, uh, you know, he's a dog I'm going to lose sooner or later. And, you know, one day I wake up, he can't stand. He just can't stand up. 
even on carpet. He has trouble on the hardwood floors and the tile, so we have a carpeted area just for him. And we keep him outside a lot now when we can because he's got rougher surfaces. But even there, he just can't stand up. He'll fall over. Um, I'll be like, well, I guess we're going to have to take him and because uh, we can't stand things that are pretty much you know over for a dog at that point. And uh, an hour later, he'll be up on his feet, and uh, he doesn't move fast, but he's happy and in good spirits. And as long as that's the case, uh, I'm not going to put him down. I just ain't going to do that to a friend. And uh, this weekend, he had one of his episodes where he fell down on the kitchen floor, and I was so concerned when I picked him up and moved him to, to be more comfortable uh, about not hurting him that I hurt myself. So I have a pretty nasty back today. Um, so that might give me a few more ums and uhs and stuff like that. So there's my excuses made in advance, and probably more than you need to know. Let's get on into the questions. Number one, I did a show last week, Advice for the Young Survivalist. I got huge feedback on that, and I got two things that came to me, both by email and in the blog comments, uh, that really bear some follow-up as questions on today's show. Number one was student loan debt. Somebody made an aside um, down in the uh, comments section of the last week's show, saying I, it just the last thing they said is, I wonder what you think about student loan debt. And I got several direct emails from people saying, hey, I all understand this uh, whole stay out of debt thing while you're young, but I'm getting ready to go to college, or my son's getting ready to go to college. We just can't afford to pay for it without taking student loans. What are your thoughts on student loan debt? My thoughts on student loan debt is 90% of it is evil, vile, disgusting, gross, cancer in your life that causes a young person out of college to graduate college and have debt that they're going to pay on for 20 to 30 years. It should be avoided at all costs, and I will make no apologies for that statement. If you already have the debt, don't let that get you down. I'm going to tell you what to do about it in just a second. I'm talking right now to the people that don't have it yet and are thinking about going into it. Don't freaking do it. Now, that said, if you are a good, solid, rock-solid student, okay, and uh, A's and B's all the way, you can do work at the college level, you know what you want out of life, you have a reason for going to college, you can get admitted without having to beg your way in the door because of your academic standards, and you're going to be able to make it through school and you're going to dedicate yourself. And you do not have to pay, have enough money to pay for college. If that is you, and you take some debt to get through school with a clear plan to get rid of it immediately upon graduation, I think it's acceptable. Okay? It can't be any more clear and concise than that. You know if that's you or not. You know if that's your son or daughter or not. If you have a kid that has a lot of C's but can wrangle their way into school, you may really want to consider it. And I'll tell you what, a guy wrote a blog post about this. I just, with everything going on on a Monday, couldn't get it in in, in today and read it like I did for Zombie Axis post last week. I'm going to try to read that post to you guys and get that into tomorrow's show. But it's on exactly the subject, should your kids even go to college. And that's the first step you got to take because we're in a world now where everybody thinks that that's what every young person should do is go to school. And uh, I'll tell you this, I've never met anybody that went to college that says, I wish I never would have went to college. I've never met that, ever in my life. So there's a lot of good reasons to go. I have met plenty of people that say, God, I wish I didn't go into $80,000 worth of debt to go to college. And here's where the problem is. People go to college saying they get student loans. They don't get student loans to pay for books, tuition, okay, and, 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 and college-provided housing while they're in school. They don't just limit it to that. Oh, no. They support their lifestyle while they're in college on their student loans. They borrow an extra $10,000 a year to, uh, to have a life outside, you know, without having to work too much. And that happens every freaking day in America. And now people don't go to school for four years anymore, they only go five. So 
That 10000 a year, you know what that does to your debt? It adds $50,000 of debt to it. And those of you that are smiling and thinking, well, my total debt's only going to be forty. Yeah, you could about have a house with that. So investing in your education is, is a good thing, but what is your degree going to be in? Well, what type of career opportunities are, are there for you? What can you expect your starting salary to be if you find a job? I listened to a lady called in a Dave Ramsey show. This is several months ago. She had $120,000 of student loan debt. She still had a semester to go to finish her degree. Her degree was in communications, about as generic of a degree as you can get. Um, An entry-level position, if she's lucky, will pay her $35,000 a year. Maybe forty if she gets really lucky. In today's economy, maybe, you know, that's not even, that's a pipe dream. It might be 30 for an entry-level position, which you can get with a high school diploma if you work hard enough, folks. And her debt was $126,000. And she didn't give away the name of the school, but it was some really, you know, prestigious private institution. And that's why it was so much. It's just going to be this glorious degree. And I'll tell you what, when you bring it to me as an employer, I'm not going to give a shit about it. I'm going to want to know what your experience is, what kind of person you are, what kind of integrity you have, and how smart you are. And when you're sitting with a position at 40 and you spent 120 to get it, I'm not judging your intelligence real high. So you really got to be careful with the student loan debt. It's a sucker's debt. Because it, it's this debt I don't even have to start paying until I graduate. And I don't think you have to start paying it for like six months to a year after you graduate for most people. And, and it's, it's for your future, and it's for this, and it's all this roses and sunshine. It's, you know, everything's beautiful. It's a debt that for most people haunts them for the rest of their life. They keep that debt around so long, you think it was a pet. Now, you already got the debt. I don't care if it's 10000 or or 100000 You're right now, right out of college, two years out of college, whatever, and you have that debt. What do you do? You kill it right now before it destroys your life. You live hand-to-mouth the way you should have lived while you were fighting for your education instead of drinking beer and hanging out with friends. You live that way now. You eat ramen noodles, rice and beans, and you bust your ass, and you work two, three, or four jobs, and you do whatever you can to you pay that debt down as fast as possible. And as you advance your main career and you start to make a little bit mo- a little bit of money, then maybe you start working less than your second-slash-third jobs. I don't care if you're delivering pizzas or newspapers. You live in a one-room shack. You pay your parents a fee to live in your your old bedroom, or you go out and you buy a, 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 a single white trailer and you live, or a one tiny bedroom apartment, or whatever. You do whatever it takes to create as much freedom in your life as you can to spend your money on the debt you incurred. And you pay your debt off. You get rid of it now. If you don't, 20 years from now, you will still have it. That is what happens to Americans with their student loan debt. What will happen is, as soon as we start loosening up these mortgage requirements, one day, some slick mortgage broker will have you rolling what's left of your student loan debt into your house payment. Oh, won't that be glorious? You'll be paying your student loan debt in another form when you're 60. You kill it now. Now, what do you do? We, we, I can't get an education without well, student loans. Okay, well, let me tell you this. It's cost my son about $12,000 a year for his first year. He just finished his second. But his first year cost him about $12,000 at University of Texas Arlington. Not Joe Blow's paper shack college education system, right? This is a state-level institution, very high-quality education. He lived in the dorms to get that experience of going out. It cost him about twelve grand. 
All right. $12,000. I gotta get $12,000. You know what? Work. $12,000 a year for your education means you only have to earn $1,000 a month or $250 a week in a part-time job to get enough money every year to pay for your education at a state-level institution in full. Now, if you're really smart, and this is my kid should have done it, he didn't, I didn't make him, you should go, take your first, for most people, take your first two years at a community college and then transfer to a higher uh, level of learning for your second two years. Make sure your credits are transferable. Take generic, you know, courses. Do that. Don't give me any bullshit about, well, you know, people don't like that or it's not as prestigious. The only thing people are going to see is your final degree, and in most cases, nobody cares. Nobody cares the name of the college. They care because they check the box off, bachelor's degree in, what have you. All right? And these, these community colleges are not substandard educations, and they're very inexpensive, comparatively speaking. They'll cater to, you know, first and second years being able to live at home or live on their own without having to deal with any kind of the dorm, you know, Nazi crap that makes you pay more money. And if you decide college is not, wor- not for you in your first year, you're out very little. And then you know to go out and do something else. Where if you get into a higher edu- you know, a, a, a true university model, you're in so deep after a year to two you feel like you have to complete it. Especially when the debt's already on your back. And that leads people to do things that are not what they want. Now, I've gone on this too long, but uh, I thought it was important. So let's go to the next question. The next question is all of these people. <clears throat> they go, oh, Jack, credit cards are not that bad. I pay my balance in full every month, and I get points for Target or freaking Chili's Restaurant or airline points or some other bullshit. My answer, bullshit, credit cards are evil, don't use them, period, the end. If you doubt me, if you're one of these people that say you pay your balance in full and you get your points and all this other bull crap, this is what I want you to do. From August 1st to August 31st, I want you to record every penny that you spend. I don't want you to judge the money. I just want you to write it down in a book. I want, In fact, you know what? You don't have to do it. Your credit card statement will tell you how much money you spent. Between your credit card and your bank account, you'll look at it and go, I spent X in August. From September 1st to September 30th, I want you every week to go get some cash from the bank. And I want you to make all of your spending in cash. Pay cash for grocery. Pay cash for everything. Every single thing you buy, pay cash for. Tell me if you don't spend 10 to 18% less in September than you spend in August just by changing your mode of payment. Then take 10% of your spending over 10 years and tell me how much money you lose every decade because of credit cards, even if you pay your balance on time. Credit cards are a sucker's game. They are absolutely a sucker's game. Merchants love them because you spend more when you use them to make purchases, even if you do pay your balance on time. And the guy that says that, you're like the guy that plays with rattlesnakes every day and has never been bit yet. It doesn't mean a bite's not coming. Uh, that's all I got on that one, so let's go to the next one from here. guy asked me an interesting question. He said, hey, do you think for survivalists it's important to know how to cook a variety Variety of meals, you know, really good food. Um, if so, you know, what kind of ingredients do you make sure that you keep on hand so you can do that? And my answer to that is absolutely yes. And an example of that is, and don't get too excited, I filmed a video this uh, weekend of cooking butternut squash in kind of a new way for me, um, using rosemary and citrus and olive oil and baking it. That sounds really good. Yeah, it tasted like friggin' crap. It was awful. It was terrible. It was a recipe I got from somebody else on YouTube. The rose Rosemary was just done the way he said to do it with the orange zest, was just too intense, and it really ruined the flavor, and it had too much of that, you know, 
taste in the squash, and, and I used less than he did in his video, so I threw that video away. We won't be publishing that video because it sucked. I'll do something else with butternut squash uh, soon and put that out there. And, and this brings me to why the answer to this is yes. Look. If you're going to be a survivalist in, in today's day and age, then it makes sense to, you know, follow my show Credo, live a good life if times get tougher, even if they don't. That means not, not putting away a year's supply of food, um, completely locked up, airtight, designed for 10 years worth of storage, and leave it sit there for 10 years, donating it to a homeless shelter nine years from now, and then doing that again. It means, by and large, doing most of your storage, and I don't have nothing against that long-term storage stuff. I just don't think it should be your full... Um, uh, reserve. The majority of your reserve should be made up, and there's rain now, folks. I'm under an overpass. You'll have to deal with that in the background, or I won't get the show done. Um, your reserve should be made up mostly of foods that you eat every day. Now, a lot of things that store well are things that Americans are no longer accustomed to eating. Dried peas and beans, for instance. Now, my grandmother could do things with, you know, like split pea soup that were just amazing. But most Americans would have no idea how to make split pea. You know, take a leftover ham bone and, and a bag of split peas that cost about 69 cents. And with those two things and some salt and onions and garlic, make a soup that will just curl your hair. It's so good. Most people don't know how to do that anymore, and I think that's a problem. I think a lot of things that we grow in the garden that have long-term storage potential, again, Americans have lost touch with how to prepare this and make it something that your family will eat. Things like turnips, rutabagas, uh, winter squash is a, is a great example. There's all these wonderful winter squashes uh, that, that get huge. I mean, you grow, you know, these, these Hubbard squashes, 40, 50, 60 pounds um, that are still good for table fare. And that's a lot of food for putting one seed in the ground. But that's what's possible. Butternuts are, you know, between 2 and 5 pounds, but you'll get up to 10 off a vine. So you're still at one seed, 50 pounds of food that no one knows how to cook anymore. So I think, yeah, it's important for us to become good cooks and survivalists. And, and not just the woman or not just the guy. You know, a lot of times in a, in a marital relationship, 20 years ago and back, it was almost all women, right? But today, there's a lot of households like mine where the guy's really the cook. The woman should cook too. And the kids should cook. And everybody involved in the household should learn how to cook. It's a skill. It's a valuable skill you should be passing down to your children. Right? So make sure you're learning how to cook. And as far as ingredients, I think one of the big ones that goes to just about every recipe known to the man and uh, gets left out of preparations a lot is salt. So make sure you're storing salt. So if you get into a point where you don't have it, it's there. And, and I really mean that. I mean, there were at times there were wars fought over salt. There's been times where armies were paid with salt as a currency. Salt is the most valuable thing in the world the day you don't have it. Uh, from what it does to lift flavor from bland and it's something enjoyable to it's, it's preserving and curative and even it's antibacterial uh, capability. Salt is a huge asset. And then a good assortment of herbs and spices. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense to grow a lot of that stuff for yourself as well. So make sure you're planting a good herb garden. It's too bad this video didn't come out well because, like, I even went out, I showed you the squash plant that we got the squash from, uh, went out and I cut sage and rosemary from my herb garden. And I thought this was going to be an awesome video, and then I just went, that tastes like a pine cone. The squash absorbs the rosemary so heavily that it, it just is too much. So, you know, 
it is important, and I think that you need to make sure that you have a lot of seasonings and spices and herbs. And I think what you'll notice that in the past, in our, in our history uh, of the world, that those spices and herbs and things like that used to be worth a lot more money than they are today. They cost a lot more. They were, there were expeditions just to go get the stuff. And it's because today we have all this prepackaged food that's pre-flavored. Uh, we have all this sugar pumped in everything that they didn't have back then. So that compensates for the flavor in a lot of situations in a very negative way. And uh, if you do want spices and herbs, I mean, all you got to do is run down to the grocery store. But we live in the real world here with a survival podcast where that might not always be uh, an option. So, yeah, make sure you're educating yourself. New recipes, new cooking methods, new seasoning methods. Learn those things and grow some of your own things for seasoning. I mean, your basic, you know, four horsemen of the herb garden, parsley, oregano, basil, and rosemary. You can grow those four herbs, and you can do a lot with just those four. Throw in some thyme, some tarragon, and uh, a few other things, and boy, you're really starting to uh, to get somewhere with what your capabilities are. And uh, you can grow way more than you'll ever use, and all of those things, they dry and they store well. You know, grow some hot peppers. Even if you don't eat hot peppers, just grow some Tabasco, or grow some cayenne, uh, or grow some jalapenos. Dry them out and grind them up and have some hot pepper uh, powder that you can use in small amounts for seasoning. You know, try a couple different peppers. Find the one that works best for you. Uh, that'll be You'll have the ability to produce that stuff for yourself in the future as well. Let's go out and take another question. I'm going to pause while I make a lane shift and uh, deal with all this rain for a second. Alright, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm a Loop 12, construction, pouring rain, giant trucks. Great fun, folks. Huh? Um, the next question I have is... Uh Could I talk about the advantages and disadvantages of living like in a big city versus a small city to a suburb to a small town to way out in the boondocks? I can't really. I mean, I've done so many shows about choosing a bug out location, and I've done shows on, you know, suburban survivalism and urban survivalism, and all of those things are huge, huge topics in themselves. So I would take a look at the uh, thesurvivalpodcast.com and do some searching for like suburban and urban survival, and you'll get my thoughts on a lot of those and uh, you know if you go back and listen just start listening to the back episode you'll pick up a lot along the way but let me say this when you go remote the biggest thing you have is a lack of services. Now, you might say, well, if the shit hits the fan, we're going to have a lack of services anyway, and that's true, but there's also a lot of times where you have limited services instead of no services. And in those situations, the more remote you are, the less you care, yes, but when you actually need them, the harder they are for you to get use of. The harder they are for you to get you know, use of. There's a lot of things you deal with in a remote location, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I also owe it to you to be honest with you about you know it's not all it's not all sunshine lollipops and butterflies. Um, when we had our our vehicle breakdown on a recent trip, we were stranded at our bug out location. There was no place to even walk to like his little shops and all. Where if we were down in Hot Springs, within a mile in any from any part of that city, we'd have found little places to go. Uh, even go out and have a, a margarita at a little uh, Mexican restaurant or something like that. Where up where we were, you know, we were up there with our preps, we were fine, but we were also isolated. Um, Earlier this winter, 
I had lightning strike my well, and we went three days without water because, you know, when do we go up there? We always go up there during holidays. So we always end up in a time when it's even even with the remote thing being in play, harder to get people out there to help you because they're just not open. They're home with their families. So those are some of the downsides of being remote. The upsides are you're less impacted by the things that impact the whole city and town. There's less people to bother you and get in your way. You, you don't have to deal with – I don't have to deal with building codes. I don't, if I want to put a chicken coop in, I don't have to call some clown up from the city to come out and give me a permit. If I want to pull in, I don't have to go through a three-month process to get approved to dig a hole in the freaking ground up at my bug-out location. Getting a pool permit in Arlington is like pulling teeth. It, it, it's all but impossible to get a pool permit in this city uh, that I live in you know, 24-7, but yet I have a pool. So we, you know, we went through it, but it's a nightmare. So those are the advantages of being remote. Now, the disadvantage is, is when people start going apeshit because they panic, the more densely populated the area, the more likely it is that you're going to have rioting and looting where you're at. And uh, we've seen that be the case all the way back to the L.A. riots and Rodney King and all that crap. And it happens with, you know, just about everything. And the thing is that looters don't tend to go to remote locations. One, because they don't want to get shot. And they, and they know, just instinctively, when you turn off a dirt road to a gravel road, your little metal computer in this country anyway goes, probably a guy with at least a double-barrel shotgun at the end of this thing and a dog that bites. So that narrows that down. But the other thing is looters are criminals of opportunity. What they're looking for is a lot of stuff, right? So if you want a lot of stuff, you go where there's a lot of people because they have a lot of stuff. You don't go out where there's only four or five people and they might kill you. So those are some advantages. It's easier to get land less expensively. You can grow more stuff. The cities have their own unique advantages, though. And I keep telling people this when they talk about roving hordes. The hordes will go to the cities, not away from them, at least initially. Because that's where the government will set up all its support and things like that. So if you want to rely on the government, it's a better place to be, I guess. And then day-to-day living, if you like the city, there's some advantages there. I'll try to do a show on this in the future. That's as much as I can say on the question today, though. Well, Dark Winter, one of our great forum contributors, a really level-headed person, a person that a lot of times in the forum comes off a little bit different than maybe the mainstream thought, but makes you think, uh, asked me a pretty simple question. Do I think that a total collapse is even really possible? You know, a, uh, a lights-out scenario, a Patriots scenario, where the entire economy and the entire social structure of the United States just obliterates itself down to the Stone Age. Like, we got the Old West, people shooting each other, stealing from each other, law, whole entire lawless areas, things like that. Is that possible? And is it probable? Um, those are two different questions. Is it probable? No. It is not probable. And anybody that tells you that it is, is either living in a fantasy world, or they're sensationalizing things for personal gain. Because they want to sell you something. Or they want you to follow them. So sometimes personal gain is about how many people pay attention to you. Not just, you know, can you make any money off it. But there's a lot of sensationalism ideology out there around these scenarios that's over the top. That's either being done by people who are just flat wrong or they at least on some level know that they're doing it for their own gain. And I don't think we should really listen to people on either side of those camps, because you don't listen to the delusional and you don't listen to the people that have a huge self-interest in what they're doing. You listen to people that give a shit about people. And there's a lot of people like that as well. And those people will generally answer the second question, is it possible with a yes?
It is possible. Of course it's possible. If we had, let's, let's, let's look at one total natural occurrence that could cause this. Let's say that one day, our sun gets really pissed off. Our sun, our star in the sky. And I don't mean actually pissed off. I just mean, I'm describing something. Oh, Jack, you believe the sun's a god? No, no. Please don't go off into stupid town. Right? Don't go to stupid town. Our sun just gets really angry. Bad day. Giant solar flare. That solar flare sends out this huge radiation burst, and it's dead targeted at our atmosphere. Just so happens it's daylight. We're facing the sun when it happens on the United States side. You know, that's a 50-50 shot right there. And wham, it slams into the atmosphere, creating a massive... um, Electromagnetic pulse is basically what it is. It's not quite the same as when a nuclear bomb does it, but it's the same effect. And the lights go out, and they stay out, and they go out across our entire country. And our grid is not repairable at that point. They can't get it back up. Maybe they have little pockets here and there of power, but in most instances, people are going to be without power for six months or more. You will see people burning down structures in the middle of cities. You will see rioting and looting. You'll see people starving. You will see people stealing. It will happen. And the more the government does to suppress it, the worse it will get in that scenario. And uh, I'm not you know, I'm not just like being anti-government here and all, but I'm telling you what, when an oppressed people feel pressured by their, their government that's supposed to be protecting them in these situations, they generally lash out with more uh, more anger and more violence. And then the government pushes harder, and then they lash out even harder than that. And it just keeps increasing and increasing and getting worse and worse. And eventually, what you end up with... It's a, you know, it's this downward spiral. At the same time, because there's no power and electricity, all the computer systems that are supposed to be used to, to all this new, you know, uh, to find out who this guy is, whether he's a criminal or not, all that stuff's down. Um, money's gone. There's no money left. So you take the power grid down. There, there's no production capacity left. People are starting to have to go back and live like it's the 1800s again. So what happens is your your soldiers and your your, your law enforcement officers eventually stop getting a paycheck, <clears throat> and even if they have a paycheck, you know, that there's not a lot of places to spend it anyway. How many people are on direct deposit today that never get a physical paycheck? How, how's your money going to end up in your bank account if there's no electricity? Oh, the bank has backup power. Yeah, for how long? 48 hours? What about your company? What about the payroll companies? How, what's the back? I mean, what are you talking about? Maybe one more payroll cycle? Maybe? How many companies are going to go, we can't do this right now. We have to reserve our capital. I'm not going to pay my people. How many places is that going to happen? How many law officers and, and soldiers and, and officials are just going to say, you know what? The hell with my job. i got to go home and take care of my family. In that scenario, I think you're, if it goes out, I think it's not from the time it goes out, but from the time people accept the fact that it's not coming back, you've got 48 hour, hours till total anarchy in a huge swath of places without, throughout the United States. I think in the country, the people will hold it together a little bit better. They have more self-reliance ability. But in your cities, that's that's a dark day. And that's just one scenario that could cause it. So there are things that can cause this to happen. They're not the most probable. But we shouldn't lose sight of the possibility of their occurrence because, folks, you know, that's like saying, you know, a 10.0 earthquake will never hit Los Angeles and, and send it off into the ocean. It might not. It probably sooner or later will. It just probably won't be in our lifetimes. 
But if you live in Los Angeles, you better be prepared to deal with earthquakes. And that's all I can say on that. So that's a great question, and it's really the best way that I can answer it. And I can tell you that I can come up with ten more scenarios that can do it as well. But in all instances, they're not that likely. And again, remember, prepare for your disasters in order of probability. Start out with the things that would happen to just you, then just your neighborhood, then just a small region, then just a large region, then national, and then global. If you do that, by the time you get up to being ready for a small regional disaster, um, you're going to be ready for just about as ready as you can be uh, with maybe just a little more inventory of food to do uh, for the biggest things that can occur because, you know, what are you going to do? Build an entire home underground? You know, I guess if you're a multi-billionaire and you're eccentric, you might, but for most of us, that's not realistic. Uh, let's go to like a totally different angle with questions here. Guy sent me an email and basically wants to know, what can I put in my compost bin? He was like, you know, when I cut up a pepper, can I throw the seeds of the pepper in there, or, or are they going to grow as volunteers next year uh, when I uh, when I put them in the garden? Should I get rid of the seeds and only put in, you know, the core or what have you? Um, in most cases, seeds are fine in your compost bin. Most of them will be actually be cooked to death by the internal heat of the, the, the composting action as the compost uh, itself heats up and breaks down. So you don't really have to worry about that. You don't want to put any weed seeds in there. So if you're uh, if you're all out in your field and you're using a sty or something, you're cutting down a bunch of weeds and they all have seed heads on them, uh, you're probably better off not composting those because some of them will survive the process. You'll be putting weed seeds into your garden beds. Uh, the other thing that you don't ever want to compost is really diseased plants. Uh, like I've mentioned, I've had some problems with tomato blight this year, and uh, I've been cutting off the branches as they start to show signs of blight, trying to kind of, you know, with that, with treating with hydrogen peroxide, get my plants through the season and uh, see what I can do. And I actually gave up on a couple of them and removed them and planted something else and kept my strongest ones with the least amount of blight, blight on them. But dr- normally, if I trim anything off a plant, it goes into the compost heap, or I throw it right directly on the flower bed and let it break down directly there. Um, with a disease, you know, something like the blight, or if you're having um, uh, a fungus or any type of thing, rust on your bean plants or whatever, throw that stuff away. Do not put diseased plants into your compost heap because some of those spores or bacteria or whatever's causing the problem may also survive that compost cooking action. And then the, uh, the last thing is no meat or dairy or manure from omnivores or uh, carnivores. In other words, do not put your dog's waste in your compost heap. Right, don't don't put your cat's waste in your compost heap. Don't. And I know some of you guys have this human manure stuff and whatever. Don't do it. There's very specific ways to handle that type of waste. And just throwing it on a compost heap, don't do it. If uh, anything that eats meat, don't put it in the compost heap. The next thing is no dairy, no cheese or anything like that. That stuff doesn't belong. No animal product other than uh, the manure of herbivores. With one exception. Chickens eat anything. And, uh, but you can compost chicken manure. I hope there's not a little technical issue there. I stagged my headset as I'm trying to turn around and check traffic with my limited mobility today. That's what that pop sound was. But uh, chickens, you know, chickens can eat eggshells. And yeah, I've seen chickens eat just about anything you can think of. And uh, chicken manure is always good for the compost heap. But in most instances, anything that will eat anything um, other than plants, don't use its manure for composting. There's other ways to break stuff down. Um, there's a method using something called a black soldier fly. And uh, that's mainly, though, to produce black soldier fly larvae. And 
and uh, you can feed those to your chickens. A lot of people that do aquaponics feed them to fish, um, things like that. So uh, they'll they'll break down anything, and they'll do it fast before it starts to stink. And uh, you can I'll try to if I get a chance today in the show notes, I'll put in a link to some info on black soldier flies. I've done that in the past. Uh, they're pretty cool, and they can take care of that other waste if you don't want to throw it away. But for your composting, leave the meat in the dairy and the excrement of meat-eating creatures out of it. Guy, uh, last one I'm going to do today. Uh, Guy asked me, he said, I've been thinking about this. Is it possible to be completely independent? Is it even desirable to be completely independent? And um, it is possible. People can live. I mean, there are people, if you put them alone in the wilderness by themselves, that would survive for, you know, 30 years, completely alone. They would probably be pretty miserable and really want the company of other individuals. But one way or another, if you really want a complete, total autonomy and independence, it's possible, but it's probably not good for you. So, you know, that's back to no man is an island. But I, I think what he meant is more like even at a family level. Is it possible to, to be completely independent as a family? And I think that actually would be harder. Because now we're trying to meet the needs and the desires of multiple humans uh, with a limited group of humans. And that's going to create even more desire for outward contact than maybe the one guy that can live alone as a hermit. At a community level, though, I do think complete independence is possible. I don't know that it's desirable. I don't know that it's desirable to have a community that completely cuts itself off from the rest of the world. I wouldn't want to do that. Having a community that could, on the other hand, is a totally different uh, question. And and what I mean by that is if you have a community that could be completely self-sufficient but continues to uh, involve itself with the rest of the world, if the shit hits the fan, they're going to be okay. They're going to be able to get by. They're going to be able to get through. And the relationships they have with other communities are actually going to be an advantage to them. Because they'll be able to get resources that may be limited within their own community, but they won't need them. When you're in a trade barter or even just a negotiation with somebody, it's fine to want something. It's fine to desire something. You never want to be in that negotiation where you have a need. When you have a need, the other side almost always ends up coming off the winner in the negotiation. Because if you need it, let's face it, um, they can get everything else that you just like from you as long as you don't need those things in in return for the one thing that you do need. So how you create this independence, though, is, is really more about community than it is about the individual. Okay, and it's, it's pouring rain now, but I'm going to keep going because I'm almost to the office and I need to finish this up today. Uh, i got new guys starting i got to worry about when I get in the office. So I apologize for the background rain noise. But um, it would be very possible, I think, in most parts of the country with reasonable growing conditions uh, for a group of people with 20 houses and each as little as a half an acre of land with coordination and planning between them, between livestock and plants and, and, and permanent crops and everything else to create a place where at least all your food and all your water uh, were, were provided to you uh, based off the community. Now that requires a huge huge willingness to cooperate among the people there but it's absolutely doable. I think a bigger sentiment in this question though was it's always hard with an email to know what's really being asked but I think what they're really asking is is it is it desirable to be so independent that you don't inter- interact with other communities or other people? And I think the answer is no. 
I think the answer is you try to get as close to the capability as possible. So if you ever need to, you can and you will make it. But that we should be reaching out to other people at all times. That's why I do this show. I'm reaching out to thousands of people every day with this show. You guys are reaching out to each other in our forum and on our blog and in other forums and other blogs all across the Internet. That tells you that even among survivalists, there's a huge desire to connect with other people that are like-minded. And and the real way that we solve the problems that we're all looking at and going, gee, this could happen, that could happen, this could happen. Now let's face it, there's only so much we can do about a hurricane. Right? There's only so much we can do about an earthquake or a volcanic eruption or things like that. But the things that our government's doing to destroy our economy, that's something that we, with our voices, can make a difference with. And even in the natural disaster scenarios where there's nothing that we can do to stop the disaster, we have a great deal of control about the response and the ability of people to take care of themselves. And if we really want to live that good life, even if times don't get tough, then we need to act and we need to reach out. And if times do get tough, the more people that we know we can count on and rely on, the better. And you'll find out in time, the people. sometimes there's people you really thought, I can really trust this person, I can really rely on this person. You'll find out that person is not trustworthy. There are people you will find out that will knife you in the back, uh, the first opportunity they get for advancement for themselves, or they'll stick with you until times get really tough and it's a risk for them, and then they'll bail out of fear. And that's not so much maliciousness, that's an uncontrolled fear. And you'll find out who those people are. You know what? Trust and reach out to other people anyway. Because you'll also find out when the the chips are down who you can count on. And we've seen it in countless little communities where the government stayed out of disasters like hurricanes. Where basically like, you know, the redneck reconnaissance shows up with about 500 pickup trucks and chainsaws and just starts cleaning up the mess. And they don't say to a guy, hey, I'll clear your driveway of that big tree for you if you give me some money. They just go in there and start cutting the damn tree up. Oh, I just watched a guy almost cause a massive wreck in front of me. Wow. But, you know, that's what happens all over our country. People help each other. This belief that in a disaster, all we'll see is the bad side of humanity is bullshit. It's as much bullshit as the fact that it could never happen. When we have disasters, a lot of times it brings out the best in people. It brings people together. And as long as people stay together and unite, we usually get through just about anything nature or our fellow man throws at us. So being totally isolated, not the way to be. Having the ability that you could handle it for a month, not a bad idea at all. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. This was kind of a dangerous commute here. I'm not even out of the danger yet. These people are crazy the way they act in the rain. I had a guy just came through with a BMW weaving in and out of traffic, cut right across me about four inches in front of my bumper. What an ass clown. Uh, So I am going to wrap it up today. But hopefully this has been a good show for you. Hopefully my pain and distraction of the rain didn't take away too much from it. I'll be back tomorrow with another episode. I'm not going to tell you what the subject's going to be, but it's going to be a dedicated show. Um, And remember, I'm going to be on uh, uh, Truth Brigade Radio 7 Central uh, Wednesday evening, and I'll put a link to where you can learn more about that in today's show notes. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Makes you wonder where you You can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter cause it all gets spent.